I thank him today. I thank him for the word that we have. I thank him that we can we can look into his word and we can get encouragement. And I, I want us to be encouraged today that God is working. And we see how he's working here in the first century church. If you have your Bibles, you turn with us to Acts chapter 13. We've skipped somewhat over a portion of ch- chapter 11, but we'll cover that in our opening or in our introduction chapter 12 uh, we'll we'll touch some of this at another time but right now we want to look in chapter 13 and we want to just for a few moments just think on the call to be on mission the call to be on mission we often really fail to understand this call. You know, I read a story about a guy who applied for a job as an usher in a movie theater. Movie theater in a mall. As part of the interview process, the manager asked him, asked him what would you do in case a fire broke out? The usher's response, or the potential usher, his response was, don't worry about me, I can get out fine. You know, that's exactly how many of us as Christians respond to a lost and dying world all around us. Often if you will ask us, what would you do if Jesus came back tomorrow? Our response would be, don't worry about me, I'll be fine. Well, there's a problem with that response. The good news is, if you know Jesus Christ, that's the good news. But there lies a problem within that response. And the problem is that most of us will forget that we are ushers. It's not enough for us to get ourselves out, but we're responsible for helping others to know the way out. Now, whether or not the first century church was aware of this, they're they're about to, as we look in chapter 13, they're about to dive head first into evangelism and missions. It's a sad church (laughs) that has no desire for evangelism and missions. It's a sad church that has no call to evangelism and missions. As a matter of fact, it is impossible to be a New Testament church in this world today without the church being involved in some form, some fashion of evangelism and missions. It's a part of the purpose of the church. And you know our purposes here at Reedy Branch, we have a vision statement which which states that we are to be and to become a fellowship of believers who are winning souls for the kingdom of God. 
and we have purpose statements in which we are attempting to reach this goal. And I, 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 what I like most about that vision is that it's not attainable because we are being and we're striving to be this type of fellowship, which means we can never do enough as it pertains to what the church is called to do. And our church is called to, to worship the Lord our God. Our church is to teach one another or is called to assimilate together and to do missions. Our, our church is called to infuse the word of God through discipleship. Our, our God, our churches or, or infuse the word of God through evangelism. Our church is called to or our purpose is to teach the word of God through um, discipleship in our churches to have fellowship with one another. If we don't have all of these ingredients, if we don't have missions, if we don't have worship, if we don't have discipleship, if we don't have evangelism and fellowship, we're failing to be a New Testament church today. This is vital for the church. And if there's anything that I think most churches today will struggle with or we lack the most of, it's that is evangelism and missions. And here we see the call to this. It takes place in the church in Antioch. As we look here in the first three verses of chapter 13, we're going to focus just on these three verses today. The Bible says, now... In the church that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Serene, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed and laid hands on them, they sent them away. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for your word. God, we come to you today needing your help. Asking God that you would speak to our hearts through your word. Use this message, God, to pierce our souls, to remind us of our call. And God, as we go forward today, we pray that your spirit would just be poured upon us. And if there's one who doesn't know you through your son, Jesus Christ, God, today call out to them. And we pray that they'll be obedient. They'll hear from you and they'll follow you. Your leadership. And God will give you praise for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Now as we approach chapter 13. We must keep in mind what was taking place throughout. Throughout the regions at this time. The church in Jerusalem had been scattered. The believers, upon the, the stoning of Stephen, the believers were scattered. All that was left in Jerusalem were the apostles. And, and here we are a few chapters later and we find that, that the believers who were scattered, 
They didn't just scatter and keep quiet. But instead, they kept sharing the gospel. These believers traveled as far as Phoenicia, uh, Cyprus, and Antioch. And, but true to traditional form, most of the believers shared the gospel with only Jews. However, in Antioch, there were some who shared the gospel with whoever was willing to hear. The Bible says in chapter 11, verse 21, that a great number believed and turned to the Lord. Why? Because people were sharing the gospel with whoever was willing to hear the gospel. When the news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, they sent Barnabas to Antioch. Once Barnabas reached Antioch, he was so encouraged with what was taking place that he left Antioch and headed to Tarsus so that he could get, he could convince Saul to come with him back to Antioch. The purpose in this was that Barnabas knew he had to set this church up properly. And he needed to disciple these new converts, these new Christians, these Gentile Christians who didn't have the law. They needed to be discipled, but they didn't need to be held down to the traditions of Judaism. So he went after Saul. And he wanted Saul to come back to him, come back with him to Antioch so that they could disciple the believers there so that they would be prepared if any false teaching might come into this church. Well, according to verse 26 in chapter 11, for one year, Saul and Barnabas, they discipled a great many people. As a matter of fact, Saul and Barnabas did such a good job with discipling the people that it was in Antioch that the believers were first called Christians. Why is this important? Because to be called a Christian is to say that you are Christ-like in the eyes of someone else. Folks, now that's a big statement. Here in Antioch, these, Christ, these believers were first called Christians there. What that tells me is that Saul and Barnabas done a great job discipling the, the believers in Antioch. They did such a great job that they emphasized that you're not only going to teach the word of God, but you're going to live the word of God. And as you live the word of God, it will change this world. You know why the world isn't changed by the church today? Because the church is more church people than it is Christian people. I'm a, I'm a firm believer that if we would live the life that we preach and we would live the life that we teach and we will follow the precepts that Christ has led for us, then we would see this world change. I want to remind us the world will not change itself if there's going to be an upside down that takes place in this cruel and wicked world. It's going to come through the church. Jesus Christ he called 12 men who followed him and they walked with him for three and a half years and as they walked with him when Christ left, they turned away world upside down there's so many more Christians who will be who's able to do far and exceedingly and abundantly above anything those 12 apostles done and we're still seeing this church this world go into a wicked direction here the apostle the, the church in Antioch 
they were so Christ-like that they took on the name of Christians. Now, I don't know about you, but this does make me wonder. As a whole, what would people say about us? What would the world say about the Christians here at Reedy Branch Baptist Church? Would they call us Christians? Would they say that we're serious about being Christ-like and that it's evidence in the fact that we love God and we love people? Would they say that we truly love the gospel and we live the gospel and we share the gospel? Or would they just call us church folk? Would they say that we gather together? Would they say that we have a good time? And maybe even some of them like one another. But there's really nothing Christ-like about them. It's one thing for me to know that I'm saved. And I want to tell you, I'm saved. I've been saved and I'm sealed till the day of redemption. The Bible tells me that that because I believed in Jesus Christ and I've made him my Lord and Savior that heaven's my home. I I know this about me. And I know that most of you in here, if not all of you, you know that about yourself. I believe there are Christians in this place. But it's different when the world looks at us. Do they see that we're different? It's one thing to know that I'm not the man I used to be. But it's another thing for the world to look at me and say, he's different from us. There's something peculiar about him. There's something different that that doesn't represent this world, but he represents something greater than this world. You know, Peter says that we are a chosen generation. In Peter, in 1 Peter 2 and 9, he calls us a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. King James calls us a peculiar people that we might proclaim the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Now, I want to believe, and I do believe that here around Reedy Branch, People know that we love one another. Do they know that we love them too? (laughs) And I hope we do. That We're not just focused upon the four walls of this church, but we're actually looking beyond that because we know that if we just focus on the four walls of the church, that's as far as the church is going to go. You know, as we approach this passage today, what we'll find is that three phases of the Great Commission has taken place. The disciples of Jesus Christ could be found witnessing for the Lord in Jerusalem, in Judea, and in Samaria. But now, now it's time for there to be witnesses in all parts of the world. As a matter of fact, Acts 1 and 8 tells us the Great Commission. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. King James says, to the uttermost parts of the earth. So here God is ready to launch this church in Antioch with being the mission and evangelistic center of the world. Out of this church, God was going to send his word 
to the entire world. Now we have to ask the question. Why would God choose the church in Antioch and not the church in Jerusalem? The church in Jerusalem was established first. So why would he send those believers in Antioch rather than the ones in Jerusalem? Well, as we think about that, perhaps it's because the church in Jerusalem was just too narrow-minded and traditional. You know, listen, folks, I'm not, I love Southern gospel music, and I love the hymns, and I don't want us to ever get away from singing the hymns, and if that makes us traditional, I'm okay with that. If we sing more Southern gospel, more hymns than we do praise and worship, if that's why people will call us traditional, I'm okay with that. But that's not what makes people traditional. That's not what made the church in Jerusalem traditional. I want to assure you they didn't have pianos in the church in Jerusalem. I assure you they didn't have the hymns that we sing in in the church in Jerusalem. They had the psalms in which they sang. But what made them traditional is they wanted to follow the same precepts of Judaism. They didn't want to to go out any further. They had such a narrow mind uh, toward ministry that they focused on what they knew rather rather than what God wanted them to do. They were more concerned about men being circumcised than they were about the kingdom of God. And when we're more concerned about following every, crossing every T and dotting every I, and and we're more concerned about people following the guidelines in which we set up for our church, then we become a traditional church. But when we open up God's word, it says, this is what we're going to find. You know what I'm I'm so thankful for for our church? I touched on it last week, but I didn't hang around. But I'm going to hang around just for a minute today. What what, What I touched on last week and didn't hang around is that we don't have a laundry list of things that, that, that you have to do before you join this church. As a matter of fact, for this church, if you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, if you're living for him, then you can come. If you've been baptized, then you can come and join this church. And after you join the church, or maybe even before you actually get the right hand of fellowship, if you choose, we're going to offer a class. And if you choose to take that class, to know what the church expects out of its members but it's not a covenant that you have to sign it's not an agreement that you have to that you have to dot your name on it's it's just something to help you as you move forward uh, joining this church but there are churches all around who are so traditional that if you don't do this and you don't do that and you haven't done this and you haven't done that if you still if you if you haven't grew past this point then you can't be a member listen I'm so glad that I'm serving in a church that knows that the Bible and being a member of God's kingdom is greater than being a member of any church. You know how I know you know that? Because you don't have to be a member to do any, just anything in the church. As a matter of fact, our brotherhood says if you're a man and you're willing to work with them and serve them, if you're not even a Christian, you can join that brotherhood. Why? Because they're hoping their light will shine so bright that while you're a member of that, of that group, that, that you'll come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Folks, when we get so bogged down with tradition, we're too close-minded for God to be able to use us. And that was what was going on in Jerusalem. They were so narrow-minded. They didn't want to expand their view of ministry. 
And the local church must have a kingdom-focused ministry, not a church-focused ministry. The gospel is not the gospel without John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Too many of the Jews had not reached this point and laying down their prejudices toward Gentiles in the Jerusalem church. And they hadn't yet repented of their sin. However, the church in Antioch seemed to be a lot more diverse than the church in Jerusalem. As a matter of fact, the indication is that this church reached out to ever, to whosoever will. Notice the men we see there in verse 1. In verse 1, he calls out Barnabas. And in Acts 4, 36-37, what we will find is that Barnabas was a Levite from the country of Cyprus. Simeon or Niger, it would tell us that, that the Bible would tell us that he was a dark complected man who moved around within the Roman society. As a matter of fact, many scholars believe this is the same man who carried Jesus' cross up Calgotha's hill to help Jesus when he couldn't carry any longer. Lucius of Cyrene was probably one of the poor persecuted believers who left uh, Jerusalem to come to Antioch. Menaean, he was a member of a higher class of, of society. And Saul of Tarsus, he was the religionist in the society. They had a mixture of people there. They were more diverse. They had all sorts of people coming in. They didn't all look the same. They didn't all dress the same. They didn't all talk the same, but they were all different. But they had one thing in common, and that thing was Jesus Christ. It don't matter how we look. It don't matter what background we come from. It don't matter how we dress. If Jesus Christ is the center point of our lives, that's all that should matter within the church. With the church having leaders such, with such a diverse background, it just shows that Antioch was willing to reach out throughout their communities. This is the kind of church God needed to launch and support missions and evangelism. So what we find is these chosen missionaries would not be just randomly selected. Instead, they were chosen by the Spirit of God. Now, Barnabas and Saul were chosen by the Spirit of God. Verse 2 says that the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me, Barnabas and Saul, for the work to which I have called them. Now, let's make no mistake. God called Barnabas and Saul. The church didn't call them. Other leaders did not call them. Their own ambition did not call them. God called them. The words of Jesus Christ were as true for Paul and Barnabas as they were for the first apostles. In John 15 and 16, um, Brother Brian read it for us earlier. He says, I, you did not choose me, but I chose you and point you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. These words are true today. God chooses, God appoints us. And if he calls us to a task, we can be sure he's already paved a path for us to succeed or bear fruit. So God did not just choose them, but he called them to a specific task. 
Now, Barnabas and Saul, in this instance, were not called to a life of being a witness. Understand, as this passage moves forward, that that for every blood washed, every born-again believer is called to be a witness for God. We don't have the option as Christians to not share the gospel. We can't say that, well, I just, as a born-again believer, we can't say, well, I just can't do that. God understands. He said, if you love me, you'll obey my command. And if we'll trust him, he'll give us all the words to say. Here in this passage, the Holy Spirit was calling Barnabas and Saul into vocational ministry. What I mean by that, they were being called into a lifetime commitment to ministry. These two men were giving their lives in service to God to to become full-time missionaries. In other words, this is how they're going to support themselves. This is how they're going to support their families. And notice The church didn't call them the full-time ministry. Notice they didn't call themselves the full-time ministry. They were called by God into full-time ministry. And so now the church has got to do what God's called them to do. God would use Barnabas and Saul in a mighty way to evangelize the world. But before God called them to the task, these men were found faithful in the ministry that they were already in. Now someone said we must bloom where we're planted. Another way of saying that is Matthew 25 and 21. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you a ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Now too often, We get filled with pride and ambition and we see something happening to one person and we're wondering, why isn't that happening to me? Uh, We started out at the same level and and here it is that, that they're progressed up. Well, it's just the call of God and the call of God comes upon whom God chooses it to come upon. But I can assure you, it's not coming upon those who are unfaithful. It's coming upon those who are faithful in what they're already doing. I served as the, as the, or, or nation committee chair for the association for two, two years. And the first thing I would ask a pastor whenever they were ordaining a deacon was, are they already doing deacon work? As a matter of fact, um, because if they weren't doing deacon work, I would tell the pastor, you're making a mistake. It was my duty to be upfront and honest with them. Because if you're giving them a position hoping that they'll begin to work, then you're, mess, you're messing, uh, messing up tremendously. Because if they're not already working and they're not already faithful, what makes us think that they'll be faithful? You know, I'm a firm believer of this. You may get a job by who you know, but you won't keep a job by who you know. You'll keep a job because of the work you do. And here we find these men had been faithful in what God had called them. So now God calls them out from that into something greater. You know, too often we get so filled with pride and ambition. And when this happens, we're in danger of our own personal agendas getting in the way of our faithfulness. But we... Must be careful we don't allow our agenda, we don't allow our ambition 
to keep us from feeling our responsibility. We must be careful to be diligent in whatever assignment we've been given. Whether it's in the church, whether it's in our job, whether it's in community service, we must show ourselves faithful in whatever task we're given, no matter how minimal we might think it is. You know, I've learned to appreciate janitors. I've learned don't just walk by them and ignore them. Appreciate them. When you walk by them, let them know that you appreciate the work that they're doing. Uh, I've just grown accustomed to enjoying walking into clean buildings. I've become really accustomed to enjoying walking into a clean restaurant restroom. Somebody should have said amen. And, and if it's not for janitors who take pride in their job, uh, we won't walk into clean buildings and we won't walk into clean restrooms. We'll find ourselves in a bind somewhere behind a bush. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. You look like you were getting too serious looking at me. (laughs) When we take pride in what tasks we've been given, we become more efficient, but but also others will notice the job that we're doing. Colossians 3. 23 and 24 says, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. In anything we do, we are to do it as if we're doing it to the Lord. No matter what our assignment is, if we do it to our best ability, we can rest assured someone is going to notice. But not only that, we can rest assured that our rewarder will notice it. And he will reward us according to his good graces and according to his riches and glory. And I'm more concerned about him rewarding me than I am this world. Barnabas and Saul, they were chosen by the Spirit of God. Because they had been faithful. But not only that, we find in this passage that that the church of God now commissions them. God first called them and then the church commissioned them. We can't reverse that. The first... One of the, the first chapel services where they were honoring those graduates at our divinity school that I sat in. One of the guys graduating walked across and said, I thank God that I found him here in this place. And I said, man, I'm sure you're messed up. I wasn't at a very conservative divinity school. <laughs> they they called themselves moderate. And the, the professors were fairly conservative, uh, but the students were very liberal. <laughs> and 
and I, I, I heard him say that, and that was the first thing come to my mind. And then I began praying, Lord, I pray that he truly found you. And he's looking more to you than anything he learned in this place. And I began to thank God I had a foundation before I went. You, I haven't brought to you everything that was filled in me in that school. Because there's some things that you'd run me out of here for. You know, I learned how to eat fish there. I'm not, I'm not one for eating spots, Brother Brian. I learned how to eat it there because I figured out where the meat was and I threw the bones away. Yeah. Here, the church, the church commissioned these men. The church had a duty here. They were to separate Barnabas and Saul for the work that God called them to do. So they fasted and they prayed. And I want us to be very clear here about the fasting and prayer at this time. They weren't fasting and praying for answers for God, from God here. Not in this case. God was very clear with his instructions. They were to separate Barnabas and Saul for the work that he called them to do. Their fasting and prayer was for the mission that these men would be on. In other words, they were fasting and praying that Barnabas and Saul would experience a deep sense of God's presence and power while they were on this mission. There's no way they could have embarked on the mission that God had them on without God's presence and without God's power with them. And so as believers here in Antioch, they carried out an ordination ceremony for Barnabas and Saul. Understand what was taking place. The church was not calling them. The church was not setting them apart. The Holy Spirit had already done this. He had already called them, chosen them, and set them apart for this ministry. The church, their duty was to acknowledge the Holy Spirit's call by laying on of hands. In the church, in this, the church was committing to support and pray for these two God called men. And they were to allow these men to be separated from the church at Antioch with no qualms, with no reservations, because they, they had to agree that God was in the midst of what was taking place. Now, I shared earlier that I served for two years as the chair of the ordination committee for the association. We ordained several during that time from deacons to pastors to youth or associate pastors. And I realized that we were not calling none of them into the ministry. However, the Holy Spirit had called them, chosen them to the ministry, and we were commissioning them. In other words, we were agreeing with the Holy Spirit, and we were helping the churches to send them out to do the work that God called them to do. We weren't sending them into the work. We were just agreeing with what God was already doing. You know, most of us will never... Be commissioned to go out to the mission field. Some because we're just not sensing the call. Some is because we're resisting the call. Ooh. Somebody else, somebody on that mission team should have shouted right then. <laughs> oh. Keep in mind the church in Antioch was flourishing, but at this time it was just Barnabas and Saul. That was being separated from them. 
They were the two that was chosen for the task. But it was the entire church's duty to pray and seek God's face on their behalf. Folks, we must pray for all the ministries that go forth out of this church. Because the ministries that go forth out of this church is helping this church focus on the kingdom. Not building a kingdom, but the kingdom that already exists. And it's not really Branch Baptist Church. The kingdom is the kingdom of God. We must pray for each other to be witnesses in our communities, in our workplaces, and to anyone we come in contact with. We must pray now that God, through the power of his Holy Spirit, will use us to lead some to Jesus Christ. We may not win everyone we witness to, but it should never be for lack of trying. Here, as we're coming to an abrupt end, here the, the call being chosen was by God. The commissioning of these men was by the church. And the church's duty didn't end when that service was over. They had to continue praying and seeking God for these men, for their safety and for their success. And I, I want to say this to anyone here who, who may not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Before the foundation of the world, he chose you. Amen. The lamb that was slain came for you. He left the portals of glory and come to a sin-cursed world for you. He lived the sinless life exampling what God would have us to do for you. He was beaten at that whipping post for you. He walked up Galgotha's hill for you. He allowed them to nail him to an old rugged cross for you. Suspended between heaven and earth, he cried out, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do for you. And he said, it is finished for you. He gave his life for you. And three days later, he took it back up again for you. So that you wouldn't have to ever experience the sting of death. Or the victory of the grave. But so that you. On this side of life. Would know that you have victory already. And he's coming back. <laughs> for you. But will you be ready? Will you be ready to be commissioned? <laughs> You've been chosen. But will you answer the call?
and be commissioned to heaven. A place where all things are made new. A place where there'll be no more dying and no more crying. A place where there'll be no more goodbyes. But it'll be howdy, howdy for all eternity. Are you ready today? God has chosen you. And here's the thing. You won't be commissioned to heaven by the church. (laughs) But you'll be commissioned to heaven by the bridegroom of the church. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Would you today? Would you today as the church is praying. As we're preparing for this song of invitation. Would you today? Would you today make this day the first day of the rest of your life as a child of God? God loves you so much that he won't force you to serve him. But if you open your eyes in a demon hell, it'll be stepping all over the love the grace and the mercy of our Savior.